You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm your host, Ted Lau. We have today Chris Hodgson-Bright, who's an instructor in the Digital Communications and Media Program, as well as the Multimedia Production Program at Lethbridge College, where he has taught for the last nine years. He has been a writer and photographer for various publications across Western Canada for the last 20 years. He is always excited about new developments in the field of journalism. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So what's going on? Uh, just uh, it's it's been an interesting year. Just preparing for a fall semester, but yeah, I've been teaching from home since March of 2020. Definitely an interesting experience, that's for sure. So this summer has been a lot of fun. I actually got a contract working for a clean tech company out of Vancouver. So just to keep my writing skills up, it's it's been a lot of fun and interviewing CEOs from across the country about what they're doing in the field of clean technology. So it's been good. Clean tech. That's a that's a really interesting field. So, what have you learned from there? Just that there is a lot of positive activity happening in the Canadian marketplace as far as renewable energy, as far as like machine learning, artificial intelligence. I learned about um, there's some amazing title work that's going on with the Bay of Fundy, where they actually have this amazing module that captures all the energy, and it's some of the largest tides in the world. So. There's surprisingly a lot of neat things going on. So it was it was kind of cool getting refreshed or energized. You hear all the things about climate change. You think, oh, it's all doom and gloom. But I'm just like, uh, recently I've been very motivated by talking to these companies who are really looking for some good solutions. So I was actually watching some news about a company called Climaworks, I think. And, and their whole thing is where they suck out CO2 gases from the, in the, the air. And uh, then they convert it into plastics and stuff like that. So, you know, hopefully these guys figure it out because, I mean, this whole heat wave thing that we've been experiencing here in Vancouver, I'm sure in Alberta as well, has been just uh, devastating for some, you know, and and fatal for, for others. So, I mean, yeah, good. That's great. Now, you said that you're teaching and it's been a little bit tough given given the remote work. I have a, I have an, a newly retired aunt who used to teach at BCIT. Nice. And she was saying that it is quite difficult to to teach online because you you lack the interactivity. Yeah. So how have you kept kept the uh, the spirits up and kept the energy and enthusiasm going? Yeah, I, I don't drink coffee that much, but this past year, I drank a lot more than I ever have. Just every class, you have to bring that extra energy to every every time you meet with the students. Some have their computer monitors on, some don't. So you're talking to a bunch of black boxes and then you're trying to motivate them through the course. And then on top of their schoolwork, of course, there were lots of struggles with mental health. So you're just encouraging students through that process and trying to seek help when they need it, as well as being really understanding with timelines and deadlines to help them through the craziest year that I've ever taught. So was there a lot of training with regards to the mental health? I mean, you everyone has probably gone through a little bit of that over COVID. So how do you support your students in that? Yeah, well, luckily at uh, Lethbridge College, there's a lot of great resources. We have a bunch of psychologists. I think they have a 24-7 hotline where they can call or even text in. Uh, Chappelle is the name of the company. And that has been a great support for the students. 
And I think the best thing was just letting the students know that that was available and it existed. And it's kind of been in the background, but more and more, the students definitely accessed it more this past year. And I, and I think there were some who loved online learning and they, they did really well. And that was kind of their forte and others really struggled. So it was yeah, just trying to bring the energy and excitement like you were actually in a classroom. And uh, I, I set up here in a, an office we have in the house and just, yeah, brought a lot of energy because I knew some of those 8 a.m. classes are pretty challenging. You weren't trying to mimic some TikTok videos to keep everyone entertained? No, I I don't think... I, I'd like to be young and trendy. I don't know if that still can apply, but I look at those videos, I'm like, I don't have those kind of dance moves. <laughs> and then with regards to how you got started, I mean, you know, was, it, was this something where, you know, one wakes up and is like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? Or how did you get into teaching? Yeah, it's funny. I started off my career... Graduated, did an undergrad degree out in, in Langley and focused on communications. And then from there, I started working for weekly newspapers. So my first job was I moved from Langley out to Vancouver Island and I worked for Parksville and Qualcomm Beach News. Then I worked in Westlock, Athabasca, worked for all these newspapers, Beaumont and Devon. And then I switched gears and went into the world of PR in economic development. And so I became like the marketing arm of Leduc and Niskew, working with a great team that was a lot of fun. We created these marketing videos for a lot of the oil and gas companies around that area. And then the economy fell out around 2008, 2009. So then I moved down to Lethbridge, started working economic development there, and really was excited about the field of renewable energy. And I was able to have that portfolio to kind of look at attracting companies to Alberta, whether it was wind or solar, geothermal, things like that. And then from there, an opportunity came up at the college and it, it was really neat where I just thought, oh, sure, I'll take that leap of faith. And uh, an instructor just retired 27 years earlier. And I thought this would be great. It's everything that I'm passionate about with writing, photography and related to journalism. So it was just kind of perfect timing. And I've, I've been loving it ever since. Nine years teaching, it feels like I just started yesterday sometimes. So. <laughs> Nine years young. Yeah. With regards to your love of journalism, I have a similar background. I, I did a comms degree in Simon Fraser University in, in BC. Yeah. And journalism has has changed. And I would say, I think some say not for the better over, over our careers. How have you seen it progressed? And, you know, how can we, how can we bring journalism back? Nice. That's an awesome question. Yeah, journalism, it's, it's been a challenge and it's, it's been really interesting to see the evolution of it over uh, the last decade and, and even before that could go in so many different directions. I think the area that is really needing to be focused on nowadays is just that element of trust and trying to gain the trust of the public. And there has been so many divisive and polarizing outlets and we don't even have to name them to know who they are. My pet peeve is Ezra Levant, if, if that gives you any idea, in with Rebel Media in Canada and then Fox News in the States. So those outfits, some of my least favorite, they do a really poor job of bringing information to the public. I think what we talk with with our students, whether no matter what platform they're bringing the news to, is just make sure you have balance. Make sure you're talking to the people that are making those decisions talk of, to the people who it's going to affect. And uh, I think I, I'm looking to a lot of inspiring outlets right now, thinking of groups like the Narwhal or the Taiyi, 
uh, independent journalist outfits, these startups that are doing some really cool things. They're bringing a lot of momentum around some important issues. And what I love is long-form journalism. So getting deeper into those topics. So you see, it's not just like a black and white issue. It has many shades of gray and you have, you can come at issues from like 10 different angles. And once you bring all those voices into the story, maybe then are you starting to really understand the crux of what's, what's happening. So I think that's, that's part of it, but yeah. But isn't that the, the challenge? Because long form journalism absolutely is what we probably need so that you have the depth of all the different angles in the story. And we have things like TikTok, Snap, right? Social media where everything is two, three seconds and sensationalism journalism yeah. is what sells news. Yeah. So how do we, how do we, I don't even know if there's an answer. I'm, I'm literally just asking, how do we get around that? How do we bring it back to what it was that was it fifth estate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those nice investigative news outlets for sure. I think definitely using social media, using TikTok, using Instagram, using all the social platforms, wherever your audience is to really engage with them at their level and bring in like digestible, either infographics or punchy graphics or little quick hits of video that get you interested in a topic. So then you can click and you can learn more and dive into the longer form. I know people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And especially if you're looking at targeting news for young people, it, it's finding a way to meet them where they are. So I think looking to TikTok and looking to other platforms to really connect with them on, on issues that that matter. And I, I could talk about this forever, but I, I think that's maybe a, a microcosm of, of where things need to go. So you did your master's in interactive journalism. So you talked about 360 interactive journalism. What is that? I, I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, so it was, it was a fascinating master's project. And what I was looking at was 360 degree cameras and how they could capture the news and put it into that format so that you can understand from a different perspective. And I think what I learned through that process and using 360 degree cameras, talking to focus groups, uh, it was essentially a new medium. So you have television, you have newspaper, you have radio, you have all these different ways to capture an audience and their attention. 360 or interactive journalism was a way that I thought that could really look at topics again in a, in a different way to try and understand that context. And I think what I was really aiming for was looking at that empathy piece and understanding issues that are happening around the world, whether it's global conflicts or different issues that are happening that we, we see on the television or we hear it on the radio, but we don't really understand what's happening. If you can put a 360 degree camera in the middle of that conflict or in the middle of that situation, you can kind of get a better understanding and actually use your own mouse cursor to navigate that video as a story is being told. I thought that was a really great way that could enlighten journalism. And we had a lot of great interest in this. Our students are still creating 360-degree videos as part of their diploma program. It's just a two-year program at the college. So we, we get them ready for five different mediums. And we presented to the Radio, Television, Digital News Association Conference in Toronto all these findings based on different demographics from college-age students to like business owners to senior citizens. And we brought all that data together and found that, yeah, it, it could work really well 
the problem with that kind of journalism is you have to have that ethical lens again, looking at the type of stories you want to share in that format, because it could be very shocking and very disturbing, especially if it's a, a violent conflict or something that you want to let people know about. So we thought it really lent itself well to features and either light, light format. But there was a lot of interest across Canada. But it's just, again, it's not there yet because you need that monetization to try and make a good business case for why you'd go in that direction. Well, I think that is that last piece of the kind of downfall of journalism, isn't it? The monetization. Yeah. That newspapers basically lost out and they couldn't compete with the digital platforms. And, you know, that's where whole fake news and all that kind of stuff came about. So how do you create a objective journalistic platform that can actually monetize? Because it might be more boring, quote unquote, right? Because it's not so sensational. Sure. Yeah, I think that's where kind of looking to the Narwhal or the Tai. I don't know if you're familiar with those platforms, but they're really interesting in the fact that they use Patreon. So they build their subscriber base. And some of these publications have no advertisers. They build a loyal group of listeners, readers, viewers, and they find topics that matter to them. So they're, they're really driven by what their audience is interested in, but also that some topics that they feel the audience would be interested in and, and to dive in on a deeper level. So they, they go much deeper and broader on these topics and they've had a lot of success and, and they're starting to really grow their network across Canada because people are looking for that quality, high-level journalism that can dive deep into these topics. And I, I think the Patreon models or, or the different funded subscriber models where you have like a newsletter generated list and you can actually make revenue off of that, that is, I, I see a lot of great opportunities there. And it, it totally disrupts everything that we know about the traditional business model with television. And I should give a lot of credit also to Slack TV. So like the global news, how they're doing it with you bring in like six different television stations and you bundle global news into that. I think that's a really exciting dynamic way to, again, get your content paid for by bringing all these different channels into this bundle that will really capture an audience and also look at all these different entertainment ways to capture them and, and keep them riveted. So I think there's some neat things that are happening. I, I see like even the evolution going forward, maybe like a Netflix version of the news that you can start subscribing that way. And it funds all of these outfits at the same time. But I see a lot of hope and I, and I talk to all these startups who are, are doing really cool things and I just keep on bringing them into the classroom and say, okay, how can we evolve or how can these students create outfits like this that are modeled like that? Or how can they join your organization because you're doing such phenomenal work? Well, actually, let's segue into your, the classroom. You teach a, basically next generation's uh, journalists. So what do you tell them? How do you get them prepared? Because we there's your the whole generation that you're teaching didn't didn't grow up without the internet didn't grow up without uh facebook and and insta and all that kind of um all those things where you know i still remember opening an actual physical newspaper right yeah. i remember yeah. the comics in the back on the sundays and yes. whatnot, but but you know there was i felt a little less polarization back then and these kids grew up with that polarization how do you bring them back to the good old days as it were yeah, I, I think just slowing things down, not looking for the shock and awe. It's about building long-term relationships. And you think about even 
those reporters who are covering court and you are there, you're covering a story and you're only there for a short period of time. And if you don't build a really good relationship with your crown prosecutor or your defense lawyer, you're going to get this kind of half-hearted story or you're going to get uh, not the whole picture. If you build some really good relationships with people in the stories you're trying to cover and that court just being one of them, city council would be another, building relationships with city councillors, knowing that you can build their trust and you're not going to burn the bridges because you need to be going back to these people time and time again. I think it, it's it's diving deeper and, and the sensationalism that... That may work for some outfits like BuzzFeed or, or different outfits where it's like clickbait, where it's just catchy things and you're just, you're on the site and then you're gone and you're just looking for entertainment. I think teaching the students about ethics and talking about how their reputation is everything. And if they mess that up, then they have nothing. So. And you're right. I mean, I, I've been, you know, following Rex Murphy back in the day when he was at the CBC but more and more now that I find that he's writing on, sorry, I'm throwing a little shade here, but you know, he's, he's on the national post and he writes stuff. And sometimes I'm thinking like, this isn't the guy that I remember on the CBC and what happened. And so his reputation is, is changing. My next question really is around the opinions of journalists. Like, how do you feel about that? Because I feel like true journalism is presenting the facts objectively, but more and more, and I think it started more with the UK media, the US media, where you'd have anchors basically put their own opinions forward in a particular article, a particular topic. And now we're seeing more Canadian journalists and anchors do it. What's your feeling towards that? Yeah, great question. Yeah, it has been interesting to see the evolution or devolution of Rex Murphy. Yeah. Talking heads, yeah, getting their perspectives on the news of the day. I I do teach editorial writing and I do teach column writing as part of the, the journalism course, the digital communications and media program at the college. And I think making sure that there's a clear delineation between the two. So knowing when, and I, and I think maybe that's the responsibility then of the outfits to make sure that it's very clear this is an entertainment hour. This does, these feelings of these reporters do not reflect anything else other than their opinions. And I think that's the big challenge to convey that to the audience. When are they spouting their opinion and when are they reporting the facts? And if you can make that clear delineation, and I'm, I'm like you, I always love picking up the newspaper and you have that page four. It's your editorial. You're always going to see it on that page. That's the thoughts and feelings about the issue that's happening in your community. And you know that's there. The rest of the paper is hard news and facts. And so I think the more that you can, it's all about that trust building. If you can delineate between when a reporter is, is spouting off their opinions, great. If they have that segment and they want to do that, sure, leave that for another time. And make sure that when they're reporting the news that you don't see any of those opinions creeping in there because it's so so detrimental and you, you start to really abuse the trust because then you start to believe as a viewer or reader that different outfits have agendas and you're seeing it with post media where they're starting to throw in a lot of conservative politicians and getting their opinions into the paper that that was never seen before. At least it, it's really unbalanced. You don't see that balance where other politicians are, are, are bringing their feedback into the newspaper. And so that's been really interesting with the post-media model, what they're doing there. And I think 
again, the more that can be done with balance. And if you have a strong opinion on one side, make sure that it's like balance it out with that opposite perspective. So you at least the audience can decide in the middle where, where they align. And I think they have to, as students talk to uh, at least two different people for every story. So they get that strong balance. So they know that there's more than one side to a story. Well, you also teach ethics and I actually was waiting to talk to you about that particular topic where I, yeah, I didn't want to call it post media, but yes, uh, post media, you did it. So we're going to do it uh, <laughs> where they, they added some politicians, mostly I believe on the conservative side, long form opinion pieces. And most people don't know backbenchers or, or even a kind of pseudo prominent, maybe B C lister politicians. Yeah. I do. I'm a bit of a political nerd. Nice. And when I see these names, I'm like, I thought this person, like the first time I read it, I was like, I thought that this person is, is a politician. How come they're writing this piece? And it's not all that balanced. So in my opinion, so is that ethical? I actually, I don't know. I, I, I thoughts. Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting take and it's interesting why they're doing that. And I don't know if it is a money-making venture that the conservative party actually pays into post media. And so it's like an ad for them to express their opinions. Again, it's dangerous when you only have one perspective or only one party represented, no matter what party it is. If anybody hears too much of any party, they kind of get tuned out and they, it doesn't appeal. So getting that well-rounded discourse and discussion um, if you're going to do it for one politician, then make sure that you have that balance and, and bring in at least two different political viewpoints on on the similar issues so that it's it, it's not looking like the the mail that we get from our local member of parliament that shows up in our mailbox once a month or once a quarter spouting their opinions about what they think is the right decision about some of these decisions being made, whether they're they're for or against the the federal governing party. So so you were talking about the Taiyi and the Narwhal yeah. and independent media. That was something that I was very familiar with when I was a student in Simon Fraser. Nice. Though they were typically more left-leaning, they were typically, you know, speaking uh, political views that were definitely not the mainstream. I haven't really kept up with it. But when you're, when you're talking about those outlets, are they also unbalanced? Are they also more steered towards a particular you know, editorial mindset and, and how do we, again, keep it balanced? Yeah, no, that's good. So yeah, Tai Narwhal, they're definitely, they, they tackle subjects definitely that you see like as environmentalism. There's a lot of climate change discussion things in there, but I think even though those topics are coming up and the Narwhal, they're actually on the Lethbridge college's advisory panel. So we have a representative of different media outlets across Canada that provide input into our curri- curriculum and how we build it every year and see as, as media changes, we, we seek their input to make sure that we're reflecting the needs of the industry. So when they graduate from the program, boom, they get a job. So that's been a great partnership. And I think at least my, I'm really familiar with the Narwhal first and the Taiyi second, but just knowing that they approach these issues from multiple perspectives. And so, for example, when there was the clear cutting of the um, old growth forests on, on Vancouver Island with uh, where there was cl- 
Clackwood or um, it was the Fairy Island, all that, all those different areas of, of old growth forests. And you're talking about how you can reflect a strong story. You make sure that you have the feedback of the RCMP, you have the feedback of the protesters, the people who are working in the logging industry. Bring all those perspectives because they all matter. It, when it comes down to it, people are trying to either protect the environment or they're trying to support their families with an income. And if they're in the logging industry, yes, it's a controversial industry to be in, but it's also very important to things like BC's economy. And so balance and more thought-provoking quotes. I always try to get my students when they're reporting about sports, at least, get beyond the cliches The he gave it 110%. He uh, just trying to get the right bounces and get that puck in the net and all that stuff. I'm like, oh God, do not do that. Reach a little further. These athletes are very intelligent. And if you ask tougher questions, they can start providing you some really rich feedback on what actually went on in a game or what's going on with the team. And I think it's taking more time. And I think time is the problem because it costs money. But yeah, so the more that we can support these startups who are doing a really good job of bringing multiple voices in, I think it's going to reflect really great media and journalism we want to consume. So, Do you teach the business side of things? Because a lot of these are going to be startups and platforms. And I mean, I, again, uh, did a comms degree and our professors were not necessarily business-minded. So those of us that decided to strike out on our own actually had almost zero business skills. I actually uh, took some business courses uh, earlier on in my university career, so that was fine. And I have a background of family members that are entrepreneurs, but uh, most people don't know how to do that. And if you are passionate about this particular field, but don't know how to keep the lights on, that's going to be a problem. Oh yeah. I teach an entrepreneurship course, which is awesome. And my coworker, Martina, and there's there's like about five of us who are part of this digital communications and media program. They all have different aspects of bringing the industry in. So some have public relations perspectives, some have video, some have radio. I have kind of the print and online journalism kind of background. Bringing all those ideas together. Yeah, we, we get the students to actually create a business case, come up with your dream company that you'd like to launch after graduating. Whether or not you want to do it or not, this is where you do it. And you start creating out just price mock-ups of, of what you'd be charging and who your clients might be and building this whole business case. And, and we bring in entrepreneurs into this class on a weekly basis for speakers and they bring their perspectives into the classroom. And it really helps get them in that business sense because I know I did an undergrad degree as well. And uh, you touch on a lot of topics, but you don't get that financial sense or the business acumen that you really need to get up and go. The other nice thing is with our program, all the students get a laptop. And so when they graduate from the program, they can either, again, start up on their own. They have an SLR camera and a, like a Rode audio mic that goes with that. So they, they can start up a, a radio program, a, a podcast, a television program, something online. They're ready to go if they want to do that, or they can join another company. And I think giving them those entrepreneurship skills definitely at least gets that idea in their head. And if they want to pursue that even more, they could take those skills. But I think the course, that entrepreneurship course, really sets them up for uh, getting a really good start of where they could take a business if they wanted to branch off on their own. I love the fact that you actually have tools for them too, so that when they come out, they actually have something. When I graduated, 
as a graduation present, my parents bought me a Mac G4, which was at the nice. time this Lamborghini of a Mac, which is now slower than the iPhone in which I have. <laughs> and my former partner actually used the rest of his student loans to buy our first camera. And so that's how we started our, our business. But you're right, you need those, those tools. Yeah. Now back to the journalism and the tough questions. How do you train them in, in asking the tough questions? Yeah, just starting with interviewing one another and getting to know their classmates on a whole deeper level than they would have known just attending class day to day. So just starting that familiarity and comfort level so that they start to know. And then we look at topics and we look at, okay, this is the topic. What are some of these questions that we're going to look at? Or even do reverse psychology or, or flip the whole thing and look at a finished article or finished newscast uh, or anything like that and look at how that story came together. And then I ask them, okay, what questions do you think they asked to get an answer like that? And to always leave the difficult questions to the end, just in case you offend them. And then if they're offended and they hang up on you, well, you got the rest of the interview anyways. So <laughs> that's smart. That's smart. Ask yeah. the tough questions at the end. Yeah. yeah. With regards to folks that actually take a journalism degree and then end up pursuing usually a, a, a communications degree or an advertising degree, how's that transition? How do you advise on that? Yeah, we have some nice like two plus two agreements where they can do the two-year program, diploma program at the college it could transfer into another two-year program. And I think what's interesting about our program is really hands-on. So, you know, going to BCIT, like it's the SATES, the NATES, the BCITs across the country who are really giving you the tool sets. And we have them set up with a whole Adobe online suite, which is pretty nice. So they have all the kind of tools ready to go and we train them on that. We realize that a lot of these companies, they may be looking for somebody with a degree. And so that's where we say, okay, when you're going into your degree, you're going to be learning in a totally different way. You're going to be learning about a lot of different subject matter that we can touch on. But I think pairing the two is really nice. So getting those hands-on skills and hopefully they keep on brushing up on those skills while they're transitioning into a new program. Or maybe they start something on the side just for fun, just to keep the revenue going or their creative outlets encouraged. So we know it, it'll be a bit of a shock for some. And, and sometimes it's totally different of what they expected, but they kind of, they, they know that uh, education might open up some more doors for them as they go. So we really set them up with nice two plus two agreements, or at least encourage them to go in different directions if they, they want to pursue some of the topics they touched on. Do you train them on answering the tough questions? Because Again, some of these students are most likely going to move on to a communications field, public relations being one of them. And some are going to end up being spokespeople for large, possibly controversial entities. So on the other side, do you teach them on how to, how to, you know, you always hear the people that they, did they answer that question? Like here's a, here's a hardball question. And then they said a bunch of stuff and I have no idea if they actually answered the question. Do you, do you teach that or what do you, how does that work? Yeah, definitely. So my line of thought and, and with my different coworkers, we all kind of have a different feeling about this. But I'd say the best thing you can do after graduating from our program is to become a journalist. Become a journalist first, because then you're out there, you're hitting the streets, you're talking to everybody in the community, you understand what matters. 
And then once you have that journalism background, sure, transition into public relations if that's the route you want to go. I used to call it selling out, but now I know it's like, no, you need to make a going paycheck. Going to the dark side? Is yeah, going to going the dark right? side. And you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's kind of nice. We're on the same wavelength here. I've been on the dark side for the last 19 years. I, I didn't do journalism. I just went right to the dark side. Darth Vader right here, buddy. <laughs> That's okay. No problem. It's totally understandable. And you have a different passion at different points of your life of what attracts you and what motivates you. So going to public relations, then having that journalism background really prepared me at least creating brilliant press releases where you're capturing the attention of the media. You know what sells, you know what sizzles, and you know a really good lead that is going to capture somebody's attention where they're going to want that story in their newscast, in their publication, whatever it is, whatever format on the radio station. And so the better you can do at crafting your message, and I think journalism sets you up really well for that, refining your lead and really getting to the crux of an issue, the better off you can write a solid news release and really capture your audience. That's fantastic. So I'd like to move our segment now onto this rapid fire section that we normally have when we ask our guests a little bit about them. It's it's usually the fun part of the, it's the easy questions, right, Chris? Nice. That's, that's what we're asking. So you ready? Sure. Okay, so given that's the Olympics right now, summer or winter Olympics? Summer. You a cake guy or a pie guy? Pie. Cats or dogs? Dogs. If you could have a superpower, would it be invisibility, shooting laser eyes, or mind reading? Well, mind reading would be pretty sweet. Be really good for the answering the tough questions or asking them, right? Totally. Favorite book around journalism? Oof, book. I'd say anything by Neil Postman. Some great stuff in there. I'm trying to think of Amusing Ourselves to Death is one of my favorites. Are you an audiobook guy or are you a reading guy? Reading. Bread, pasta, rice, or potatoes? Ooh, pasta. Favorite tune that you're listening to right now? Ooh, good one. Anything by Muse. What are you video streaming right now? Oh, The Lotus Hotel. The Lotus Hotel. What's that? HBO. Ooh, okay. I will check it out. Yeah. Best journalistic story that you've done. Oh, man. I said this is going to be easy. Any feature, when, when you get to interview somebody and really learn about what, what motivates them, I, I remember interviewing like, Kim Mitchell, you think of Patio Lanterns. And just, it was really great to learn a lot about his family life and what happens behind the scenes when he's not on stage rocking out. So that was an eye-opening interview, but there's so many over the years. That's just the first one that popped into my head. Favorite carnival food? Oh, like those elephant ears, beaver tails. I love those. Yeah, Yeah, I think in Canada, we have to call them beaver tails, right? Because we're Canadian. Yeah, that's right. Organization you've supported by donation or with your time? The Narwhal. Favorite band that you listened to when you were in high school? Oh, nice. Our Lady Peace. Oh, I love Our Lady Peace. That's the only band that me and my wife actually went to as a concert. My wife and I have very different musical tastes, yet Our Lady Peace was the one concert we actually enjoyed together. Sweet. One thing most people don't know about you. I play the electric cello. There is such a thing as an electric cello? Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. My, uh, my friend, he actually, it's been a work in progress over the last six to 10 years where we actually built an electric cello from scratch. Wow. That's amazing. He finished it during the pandemic. So it's been fun playing it. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Where or what are you going to do when the COVID restrictions finally lift? Oh, <laughs> I, I think keep on wearing a mask until this Delta variant's gone. What's one advice you want to give some of your students when they graduate? Pursue your dreams. Just have fun and keep on going. Be persistent because there are great opportunities out there if you just keep keep on keep on digging, keep on working. Keep on keeping on. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, hey, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed it and got to really dive deep into one of the very first subjects that I took in my post-secondary education. So really enjoyed the talk. Wishing you all the best and happy weekend. Thanks so much. It's been great to talk to you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for another great episode of Marketing News Canada. Stay tuned for the next one, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.